Thank you, Travis and Laura. We think about day-by-day -day living. <clears throat> As we live on planet Earth, the goods, the bad, the ups and the downs, trusting the Lord day by day. And as we think about interacting with God's word, we're going to pray together and you can express to God your desire to be sensitive to him as we interact with God's word and then reflect on Christ through communion. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for giving us the written word, the written Christ, what we call the Bible, Scripture. As we consider a portion of what Jesus spoke and how Jesus and his disciples interacted, we want to be sensitive to your spirit at work within us, being doers of your word and not hearers only. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Couple questions. When does the future begin? That should be begin, not being. When does the future begin? When does the future begin? Follow up with, when does what happens in our future begin? When does what happens in our future begin? How would you describe the human soul, the immaterial part of us? How would you describe the human soul? Do all humans have the same type of soul? Do all humans have the same type of soul? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark, chapter 8. In the context, we find that Mark is presenting Christ as the Son of God. He's taught, he's performed miracles. And in the particular context, <clears throat> the 12 were asked, who do you say that I am? That is, who do you say Jesus is? And Peter said, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. And we find that Jesus then responds by telling them that he is going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, and then he's going to be killed. He's going to rise from the dead three days. And Peter didn't like that because Peter's idea of a Messiah was kingship, you know, glory. And Jesus is talking about suffering, rejection, death. So Peter rebukes Jesus. Says, Jesus, you know you're wrong. You don't have things right. But we find that Jesus then turns around and rebukes Peter. And he says, get, me behind, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then beginning with verse 34, we find that Jesus explains what discipleship involves. Mark 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this idolatrous and sinful generation, 
The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus is presenting a correct view, his view of discipleship, of messiahship. Following Christ is not all glory. It involves, he says, denying self, rejecting your focus of life, what you want, taking up your cross, sufferings that come due to following Christ, following Christ, being with him and experiencing him day by day. Then in verses 35 through 38, he is explaining with some statements and questions what it means to take up one's cross to follow Christ. He says, if you want to gain your, or save your life, you'll lose it, which we discussed several weeks ago, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? And then he says in verse 36, I'm sorry, verse 37, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus continues to drive home the cost of discipleship. He says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He poses a question. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? It's an all or nothing. Follow me. Or go your own way. What is the answer to the question? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. Can you give an exchange for your soul? What can I give in exchange for my soul? What could the 12 give in exchange for their soul? The answer is nothing because humans are spiritually bankrupt. It has to be all of Christ. Dead individuals, that's true of all humans, dead individuals have nothing to give in exchange for their soul. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because Christ is life. What can I give in exchange for my soul? What could the 12 give in exchange for their soul? What could the Roman believers give in exchange for their soul? Nothing. They have nothing to offer. That is why in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, come on to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is life. He's offering life. Up to this point in Mark, Jesus is being presented as the Son of God, being presented as life. What can we give in exchange for our soul? <clears throat> Nothing. Romans 3 talks about the deadness of humans. There is none who understand. There is none who seek God. And he goes on to talk about the deadness of humans. In Titus 3, he says, You were, but by God's grace you were transformed. And in Hebrews 10, he talks about Christ. It's all of Christ. So when Jesus says to the twelve, to the crowds, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
In the context, the answer is nothing. Spiritually bankrupt, bankrupt people have nothing to bring in exchange for their soul. Years ago when we were living in Tennessee, there was a point in time where Ruth Ann and I were flat broke. When I say flat broke, I meant we had nothing. We didn't even have enough money to go out and buy anything. We were not bankrupt, but we were broke. We had nothing to offer financially. And that's the way all of us are spiritually. We have nothing to bring to God in exchange for our soul. Jesus is offering himself as life. The 12, the Roman believers to whom this passage was written, would follow Christ because he is life. They have nothing to bring. Jesus says, what can you give in exchange for your soul? Nothing. But we are tempted, and it's been true down through the ages, to say, well, I live a good life. We're tempted to bring, doing to impress others. Well, I read the Bible and I pray. Well, I attend church. I take good care of my family. I treat others well. Jesus says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? In light of the context, nothing. The good works, the reading of the Bible, impressing others. Because Christ is offering himself as life. I don't turn to Christ until I fully accept my bankruptcy. If anyone would choose to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Why would they choose? Because they recognize that they're spiritually dead. They're separated from God. Now think about the 12. The 12 are thinking Messiahship. And Jesus says, you got it wrong. The rejection, the suffering, the death and the resurrection comes before the glory. So if you're going to choose to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And for the 12, other than Judas, it meant death. It meant rejection. It meant all kinds of difficulty. The Roman believers are hearing this, being read to them. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. But they're being persecuted, and they think, ah, oh, we're going through the rejection part, the suffering part. And then Jesus makes a statement at the end of chapter 8. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, I think the words that he would have given in the gospel, in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. His statement here, if you ponder it very much, our present in future influences the future. If I am ashamed, he says, if you 12 are ashamed, if you Roman believers are ashamed of me in this sinful and idolatrous generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The future begins now. 
discredit Christ now. And he says, I'll discredit you in the future. The present and the future are two sides of the same coin. The Roman believers are hearing this. Jesus saying, as they have this read to them, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. What an encouragement that would have been to them because they were suffering. They were having property confiscated because of their faith in Christ. And they think, oh, we're on track. We're not ashamed of Christ. We're being willing to die for him. What an encouragement to them. Again, he's driving home the point of choosing to follow him, denying self, taking up the cross and follow him. Ashamed means to discredit. A choice to treat Christ and his words as being improper or ridiculous. A choice not to stand on Christ and his words. Now he says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and idolatrous generation, the idea of idolatry is pursuing someone other than one's mate within a biblical marriage for fulfillment. In the context, it's pursuing contentment in someone or something other than Christ and his words. If anyone is ashamed of me, who I am, and in my words, what he gives in the gospel, in this idolatrous generation, idolatrous generation pursuing contentment, fulfillment in someone other than Christ. Sinful is to miss the point of life, the purpose of life, which is a relationship with God through Christ. Pursuing for self, one's own desires. Now, this was spoken to Jewish people. It was spoken to the 12. And with that thought in mind, let's go to Isaiah chapter 57. When Jesus uses the term, this sinful and idolatrous generation, the 12, the Jewish people to whom he was speaking, probably had a pretty good idea what Jesus was speaking about because the history of the Jewish nation was not real good. Isaiah 57, speaking of the chosen people of God. Isaiah 57 and verse 3, But you, come here, you sons of a sorceress, you offspring of idolaters and prostitutes. Whom are you mocking? At whom do you sneer and stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? You burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. You sac sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. The idols among <clears throat> the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion. They are your lot. Yet to them you have poured out drink offerings and offered grain offerings. In light of these things, should I relent? You have made your bed on high and lofty hill. 
There you went up to offer your sacrifices. Behind your doors and your doorpost, you have put your pagan symbols. Forsaking me, you uncovered your bed. You climbed into it and opened it wide. You made a pact with those whose beds you love, and you looked on their nakedness. You went to Molech with olive, or olive oil and increased your perfumes. You sent away your ambassadors far away and descended to the grave itself. You were wearied by all your ways, but you would not say, it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength, and so you did not faint. A description of Israel as a sinful and idolatrous generation. In Ezekiel 16, we won't turn there. You find in that passage, though, speaking of Israel again, how they wandered from God. And he compares the marriage to God and Israel and how they wandered away from their husband, God. Hosea Hosea chapter 2 again brings out the same item. Jesus says, back to Mark now, If anyone is ashamed of me in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the world we live in today is sinful. It is idolatrous. People pursue all kinds of gods. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. In Mark 13, verses 26 and 27, Jesus is speaking about what comes in the future. He says, at that time, you know, when the stars fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather the elect from, every, from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and the ends of the heavens. So in the future, the end of time as we know it will come. And he says, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him, of that man who is ashamed of Christ and his words in this life. The beginning of laying groundwork for the eternal state. When Christ returns, laying the groundwork for eternal state, and he says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Now the twelve are thinking glory. They're thinking the Messiah. We're going to reign with the King. And Jesus says, whoa. Denying self, taking up your cross, and following me comes first. And guys... If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. The Roman believers getting this book and they're being persecuted for their faith in Rome. And they read the words, you know, ashamed of Christ and his words, then he'll be ashamed of us. What an encouragement. We haven't been ashamed of Christ. We have died. Hey, there's something coming here. Christ isn't going to be ashamed of us. 
the way you treat Christ here and now determines whether you will enjoy him in eternity. The way you treat Christ here and his words here and now determines whether you will enjoy him in eternity. Now, sometimes we think that if someone gets enough discipline, enough punishment, they'll change. Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. He's a rebel of God, and at the end of the thousand years, he's going to lead a rebellion against God. He didn't change. He won't change. As you look at various portions of Scripture, it is almost like if I'm ashamed of Christ here, I'm ashamed of his words here, I'll maintain that into eternity. As you read the account of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, you'll find that the rich man never repented even though he was in hell. Then want his brothers to come, but he didn't repent. The way you treat Christ here and now determines whether you'll enjoy him in eternity. Death does not change what the 12, what the Roman believers, or what you and I will enjoy in the future. Jesus is saying, no enjoy Christ now, no enjoy him in eternity. No enjoy my words now, no enjoy my words in eternity. To discredit Christ in school, on the job, at home. Means you are dishonoring his word. We find that Jesus is saying some, what I might say, some very hard things. You want to follow me? Take up your cross. Or deny self, take up your cross and follow me. And to amplify that, he says, now if you're ashamed of me in this sinful and idolatrous generation, 12, I'll be ashamed of you. Roman believers, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. To us today, I think you will find the same to be true. Where do you find life? In Christ or in someone or something else? Depends on where you are in life as to how this passage might affect you. But we're still living. We're still on this earth. So respond in a positive way. Think about the 12. I'll take that back. Think about the 11. I'm excluding Judas. All of them, other than the Apostle John, died before their time for their faith for Christ. And John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of his faith in Christ. The Roman believers were in the process of dying for Christ. This was a tremendous encouragement to them. We did deny self. We did take up a cross. We are following Christ. 
We have nothing to offer in exchange for our soul, and we're not ashamed of Christ. If that's where you are, be encouraged. If it's not where you are, maybe stop and think. When does the future begin? Now. What you enjoy or dislike now influences eternity. As I mentioned earlier, after a thousand years of being bound, Satan still was an enemy of God or will be an enemy of God. When does what happens in the future begin? Now. Lack of desire for Christ here and now will be present, I think, in eternity. Apparently, death does not change our desires. Ashamed of Christ now means ashamed of Christ in eternity. I think sometimes we have the idea that when we die, all of a sudden our desires are going to change. But repeatedly, Jesus would say otherwise, along with the writers of the epistles. What's the human soul like, the immaterial part of us? By nature, we're dead. Separated from God, and Christ makes it possible to have a relationship with God. Do all humans have the same soul? We all have the same soul in the sense that we're by nature dead. So Jesus gives the invitation, come. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Christ. And as we think about Christ and what he says, and we think about the life that is available through Christ and the life that many of us would have in Christ, as we sing together and then read some scripture, again, reflect on Christ. And if God has challenged your heart this morning, then respond as we sing, as we consider scripture and then have communion. Travis?